Hello and welcome to the Hindu Books Podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan, your host for today. In the new book, Himalayan Challenge, India, China and the Quest for Peace, Subramanyam Swami, an economist, a long-time China watcher, and of course, a member of parliament who is also on the national executive of India's ruling party, the BJP, presents a new and unique perspective on the past, present and future of India's relations with China. Few Indians know China as well as Dr. Swami does, and few have engaged with the country for as long as he has, going back to the 1960s when he was at Harvard. He also played a unique role in the normalization of the India-China relationship, including traveling to China in the late 1970s and early 1980s when few Indians did, and meeting with China's then paramount leader, Deng Xiaoping. In the new book, Dr. Swami dissects some of the key issues the relationship is grappling with and presents a fresh perspective on many of the national debates in India when it comes to China, from Tibet to the origins of the boundary dispute. These are some of the issues we hope to discuss with him today. Thank you so much for joining the Hindu podcast, Dr. Swami. Thank you very much. Before we uh, get into the meat of your book, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in China in the first place? Was it more from the perspective of you being an economist at Harvard? And how much did the 1962 war, which, which had just happened at the time, how much did that shape your understanding of China when you first started out? Well, I arrived in uh, Harvard uh, to get my PhD um, in uh, September 1962, just about coincidental with the, uh, the Chinese um, attack uh, that took place uh, in uh, Arunachal and uh, um, also in parts of Aksai Chin. And, uh, and the, uh, all, I mean, the American press was full of the rout of the Indian forces. And certainly that alerted me uh, uh, to thinking about uh, uh, China and, you know, to study it. But uh, I was so engrossed in mathematical economics and the uh, Professor Simon Kuznets in the uh, building of, uh, building up uh, the structuring of the GDP and the economic growth rates and so on, as well as Paul Samuelson, who, and I authored a now a path-breaking paper on index numbers that I sh- sure had no interest. And then suddenly I bro- you know, broke records in a sense. I completed my PhD general exam within six months of arrival and then my PhD one year after. So I had lots and lots of free term. And I also was made a re- resident tutor in an undergraduate house, which meant you know, a nice apartment, free food, and you know, intermingling with students. So there was a great uh, China. I mean, the founder, founder of the Chinese studies in the United States was John Fairbank. Right, yeah. And uh, he is, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he was a, a, a genius plus a great campaigner. So one day in, the, in a dinner meeting at the Lowell House, he asked me, uh, why don't you learn, uh, why don't you join, uh, do some work on China? After all, they're your neighbors. So I told them, no, no, I'm now a committed economist. I got so many other papers to write. I don't think I can do it. Um, so he said, no, I think you Indians are scared of Chinese. Mm. So that pricked me. And I said, no, no, I'm not. But uh, I left it at that. <clears throat> then at that time, I had run into an uh, Indian student who later became my wife. And she was studying uh, 
for a PhD in mathematics. Uh, and so we got to meet each other. And, uh, and one day she told me, you know, um, I don't think you have uh, anybody can, any Indian can learn Chinese. So that pricked me. Right. And that's how I went to Chinese classes and I picked up Chinese in record speed. And, you know, being a Tamil had some small advantages. When the teacher, uh, who was a very strict uh, Taiwanese teacher, <clears throat> she used, we used to call her Dragon Lady. She asked me, um, uh, you know, uh, she was interviewing students to uh, people to take. She had to take me. I was anyway at that time assistant professor. But she asked me to pronounce few words, and which the Chinese, uh, you know, find uh, you know the Americans find difficult to pronounce. So that is the word which means uh, sun and Japan. Ruban is uh, Japan. Is in Tamil very easy, so right. she asked me uh, uh, to pronounce it, and I did. She said, "You have been to China." I said, "No, <laughs> it's in Tamil, so it is." So that's how it built up, and um, then I wrote my first paper, in which uh, I took apart the uh, statistics of China, which uh, uh, you know made uh, Simon Kuznets, my thesis advisor, was I mean, who had. I'd completed the PhD thesis, but I was a colleague of his in courses, and he was mighty pleased. And then the index numbers came out of that. So over a period of time, I came to the conclusion that the growth rate of China between 1950 and 1970 uh, was uh, no higher than India's. Contrary right. to the left-wing uh, people who are saying, like Amartya Sen and the American left-wing, that you know they are going at 10 percent per year which was the general impression in India. But I did this analysis mathematically and the University of Chicago published that book and that became a bestseller and you know, uh, what they call a seminal uh, book. So that's how it got going. Then uh, the, um, I, um, in 1977, Mr. Moraji Desai asked me, uh, you, well, you know Chinese, you know them. Uh, have you ever been to China? I said, no, I've never been to China. So he said, what is the problem with them? Why can't they negotiate the border instead of <clears throat> claiming every inch is theirs? So I said, well, uh, they are practical people. Uh, it's give and take. What are you going to give them? Oh. So he said, he asked me, what can we give them? I said, right now they have a big problem with the Soviet Union on Usuri River, that Janbada Island. And uh, the Russians have uh, Indo-Soviet Treaty. <clears throat> and they have made an application which uh, Mr. Bajpai as foreign minister is going to recommend to you uh, that Soviet troops should be allowed to come into India and then from India go to Tibet mm. because the Soviets were preparing for war. And I told him that you want the Chinese on your side, just tell the Chinese that we will not allow the Soviet Union. Tell the Soviet Union, this is a treaty which you didn't sign, but Indira Gandhi signed and we are not bound by it. And see the difference. Before, we, have, uh, before your first, uh, you, we come to your first China visit, just to give us a sense of uh, what the relationship was like, uh, because post-62, it was a complete freeze. So were yeah. there very uh, few uh, people going to China at the time? And what was the relationship like before your first visit? There was no official visitor from India from after 1962, except those who went to the embassy. And uh, they wouldn't be allowed to leave the embassy premises. Uh, I, when I went there, 
I didn't see any Indian at all except the Indian embassy people. Um, and uh, and it was, a, you know, a, a Mao Zedong's cultural revolution had completely damaged it, so it was not, not much of a country to see. So there was just nobody. And uh, I was received well because of their coming to know that I had played a role in this Jambada Vaidan. And uh, they were very forthcoming, and I asked them. Then Tan Xiaoping uh, wanted to come to India, but Moraji said, it's too, I, I mean, I can't go this fast. So Tan uh, Xiaoping came to Nepal and made an announcement that there's a new government in India which, with which we can work, and we can discuss the border issue. And that's how it, the process began. And finally, when Rajiv Gandhi went, uh, it was accepted as disputed by us because we were maintaining throughout it is not disputed. It all belongs to us. So we, uh, he made a declaration. And then 1981, I met him at Xiaoping. He opened the Kailash Mansour route for me. I mean, on my request. And I became the first one to go. And then he agreed. He sent his first time. The Chinese foreign minister came to India after 1962 was in 1981, June. I had gone there in April. And uh, so that's how the process started. Then it just kept moving. And it reached a peak during Narsimha Rao's period when we drew a line of actual control without commitment uh, to either side. Yeah, in the book, uh, I mean, there's a lot to uh, go over in the book. I really enjoy the first chapter where you talk about the historical exchanges uh, you make the point that uh, we learn in school textbooks in India of the Chinese who visited, but we never learn of the Indian monks who went to China, <laughs> which is a curious thing because I learned about this uh, very much later. But I really want to ask you about Tibet, which is another chapter which I think is going to get a lot of interest, where I think you really yes. question uh, India's Tibet policy over the years. If I can just quote yes. uh, what you say, uh, you said that in some ways we're getting the worst of both positions where on the one hand, we say that uh, we recognize Tibet as a part of China, but then on the other hand, there is this persistent feeling that there's a Tibet card for us to play, and we really haven't resolved these two positions, and you think we are getting the worst of it. So yes. uh, can you share your thoughts a little bit about what we've gotten wrong, and do you think in many ways it's still a reason why the relationship is so confrontational? Well, as far as Tibet is concerned, uh, let me make it clear to you that uh, since the yellow sect, for which, uh, which the Dalai Lama belongs to, which came after the red sect, they uh, have uh, been consistently with the government in Beijing, um, uh, which uh, whether it was the Qing dynasty or uh, subsequent governments in, in China. And they had uh, an agreement that the Dalai Lama would be nominated only after approval from the central government in, in China. And uh, a delegation would always come, uh, except the first three uh, Dalai Lamas. Two were posthumously nominated as Dalai Lama, and the third one was nominated by a, a, a Mongolian name. Dalai Lama is a Mongolian name, not a Tibetan or a Chinese name. And uh, therefore, uh, Dalai means an uh, ocean, and I think Lama is, means a man of peace or something. Now, every, uh, including this Dalai Lama in uh, February 22nd, 1940, was anointed as Dalai Lama. Uh, a delegation of the Gomintang China came to uh, Lhasa, and then uh, subsequently, the Dalai Lama also had to go to Beijing. 
and uh, they, they and approved it and gave a ring. There, there was a uh, traditional ring that they used to give. So the uh, uh, the at no stage except a short period between 1914 and 1929, when the Tibetans said they are an independent country. All through history, and I'll challenge anybody to produce evidence to the contrary, including the Tibetans, uh, they have accepted what is called the suzerainty of China. That is, except defense and foreign policy, they're free to do what they like. Now, you want, uh, you raced, rushed, despite the advice of Sardar Patel to recognize Tibet as part of China. You dismantled all the listening posts that we had set inside. Telegraph posts, post offices, banks, everything we uh, removed. So you went overboard on it and you didn't even uh, strike a bargain on the border. And uh, on the border, let me say, uh, Tibet never agreed to a, a MacMahon line. Never agreed. Although I insist that we must insist on MacMahon line because the Chinese have in 1958 and then finally formally in 1963 signed an agreement with Burma, or what is called as Myanmar today, where they have explicitly stated that the MacMahon line is the international boundary. So if you accept for Burma, you have to accept for Arunachal too. So they, therefore, I am not going into the legitimacy of uh, the MacMahon line, which is all bogus, which I've pointed out how the British did forgery. But originally in 1912, Lord Curzon was, uh, was rebuked by the Crown and uh, MacMahon was transferred to, uh, to uh, Cairo as ambassador. And the man whom uh, I think MacMahon uh, had bribed the Egyptian uh, representative, he was disowned by uh, Lhasa. So there is no such thing as an agreement that we reached. And this MacMahon line has no legal basis, except that the Chinese have accepted it as a legal line in the case of Burma, and therefore they must accept. Now, on the Western side, there is very little material. We have very little material. Chinese have no material. So whatever the Chinese are saying is mine is mine is mine. Uh, it is nothing more than that. But uh, we did draw a, uh, a kind of line in 1950. And uh, but it had no legal sanctity. We never pressed for its uh, finality at the time when Tibet uh, uh, was uh, handed over to uh, to China. Uh, we uh, never insisted on on that. And Tibet was not only by Nehru, but Java, uh, but Atal Bihari Vajpayee went uh, ten steps ahead of it. What he did in 2003 is not only affirm Jawaharlal Nehru's, um, uh, you know, that Panchushil Ma treaty order that Tibet is part of China, but he also agreed to the Chinese uh, you know, information or proposal to divide Tibet into four parts and three of them to be merged with the neighboring states. So today's Tibet, which they call as Tibet, uh, is only one quarter of what originally was Tibet. And of course, over the years, they have transferred their population, brought in the young people, so on. So, so now what is it that we should, uh, why I brought Tibet issue is, at the moment, the Chinese are in occupation of our territory. They have violated a mutually agreed line, which is the li line of control. And they have occupied Depsang uh, and other areas about uh, anywhere between 2,000 square kilometers to 8,000 square meters. 
They didn't do it when the BJP came to power. They did it during the uh, UPA period of 2003 to 2006 to 2012. But uh, Modi had 18 meetings with uh, Xi Jinping. Now, did he not know this? And if he not know, he should fire a few people. Including before his we come to, uh, if I can just get you, before we come to the current crisis, which we definitely will yes. talk about, uh, on Tibet, yes. uh, you do make the point that given that in 1954 and then in 2003 with Vajpayee's visit again, India reaffirmed yes. its position. So do yes. you still think it remains an issue of insecurity in the relationship uh, today in any way? Yes, because the, 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 the publicity and this frequent raising of the... Uh, and we have got a, a Tibetan exile government in, uh, in uh, Dharamshala, where there is a prime minister the cabinet ministers, they meet. The uh, Lama being in India, there's no question. He's a religious leader. We in India, uh, you know, we revere him. And he can uh, stay as long as he wants. But uh, as far as a exile government in Dharamshala, it, it is enough to create a doubt. Supposing there's an exile government of Khalistan in London, how much uh, racket uh, Mrs. Gandhi's government made at that time? Some... Uh, uh, some one known one man had one room and he said it's Khalistan headquarters. Uh, such a lot of conspiracy they did. So I would say any country which where you have treaty agreement, not once but twice, two different parties, saying Tibet is part of China, and then you have an emigre government, uh, there's bound to be suspicion from their side. From our side, every day there is some uh, uh, somebody saying, well, now we must raise the issue of Tibet. You know, first get, raise the issue of your lost land and get it back. If the Chinese don't vacate, we make them vacate, ev evict them. Uh, till that strength, you know, don't talk about such big things about Tibet, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, all these things which you have already agreed to and signed, in, you know, in a, in a treaty you have agreed to it. So therefore, uh, that is the context in which I place Tibet. Tibet is not a country which was for us, at no stage in history, at no stage in history, Tibet has been for India. And uh, therefore, the, they have also, in, except a few, uh, two decades, they have always throughout history accepted the suzerainty of, uh, of, uh, of Beijing over Tibet. So why rake it up when you're not in a position to free it? Well, what do you, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, you mean that if we, we uh, set up an independent Tibet embassy in our country, do you think uh, the Chinese can't set up uh, a Tamil Nadu embassy for uh, you know using the LTT, uh, Khalistan, everything they can do? Why do you want to expand? First, first demonstrate to China that you have bitten more than you can, uh, you're swallowed more than you can bite, and therefore uh, you are uh, you will be taught a lesson because 62 is no more valid anymore today. And we have much better infrastructure today in Ladakh, thanks to uh, Nitin Gadkari but, uh, and the army, uh, both of whom have put it together. And uh, so I don't think we'll have any difficulty militarily defeating the Chinese in that particular area. Uh, coming to the current crisis, I, I was struck by one section of your book where you say in late 2015, uh, you had met Amit Shah and you had warned him that the direction of the relationship was actually yes. not headed in a right direction, even though this was a yes. time when the Modi government was really investing a lot in China. They had had 18 yes. meetings, uh, you know, of course, the famous two informal summits 
in Wuhan and Chennai. But through all of that, you were very skeptical that this was really a, a meeting of minds. So can you just tell us why you were so cautious and, and, and how yeah. this year's crisis kind of uh, sort of yeah. validated your fears? Well, from about 2011 to 2016, every year I used to go to address a seminar uh, convened by the, which was called the World Peace Forum, uh, where, you know, people from many nations came. I think I met you also once or twice in Beijing in that connection. That's right. I mean, you were there for the Hindu. Uh, and, um, I, and some of my students were in Tsinghua University, and they are now senior advisors to the highest uh, in, in China. And so they, they came to know that the prime minister had suggested my name as the first president of, uh, of, uh, of a BRICS Bank, which was being set up by the, you know, that time it was only Russia, India, China. And then the Brazilians came in and so it became BRIC. And then the South Africans came, it became BRICS. So, um, and then uh, when I returned, I got a... Uh, called from Mr. Amit Shah to his residence, uh, where the RSS, uh, uh, you know, interlocutory in, in chief, uh, Mr. Uh, Krishna Gopal was also present, where he said that the prime minister is waiting for your phone call. Uh, I'll just now call him, but he wants, I just want to tell you that we have decided to appoint you as the president of the, first president of the BRICS Bank. So I said, I will not accept it. Because I got indication from the 2015 World Conference, I got an indication that uh, they are not uh, things are not good, because they used to make uh, jokes about uh, um, Modi's meetings, say and what he would do, and um, uh, I mean I can make up pro forma rebuttals and all that, but you know sitting in Beijing, I just I was there hearing it. And then they suddenly told me, listen, if you get an offer to be the president of, of BRICS Bank, don't take it because it's not going to go anywhere. And uh, so that also, plus I, I, I made up my mind when I left Harvard, I'll never leave India again. And so where's the question of my going being posted for, for five years uh, in a foreign country? So I declined that Mr. Mohammed Shah was very unhappy. He said, Prime Minister fought for you, fought for India to get the first thing now, I said, no, I will not take it. I have made up my mind since I came back from Harvard, uh, I will not go. And I said, please be, don't under the impression that uh, that um, uh, we are very popular in, in teaching. So he said, uh, what do you say? I said, uh, they have been um, in, their, in their confidential discussion or uh, you know, informal discussion, they are very, um, they are critical of our prime minister. So that must be because they are jealous of his international popularity. So being a loyal friend of, um, of uh, you know, associate of Modi, he wanted to defend him. I said, it's not a question of defending him. It's a, I would also defend him. But the fact is that this is the reality. Then uh, there was a national executive meeting where uh, Modi and I met very briefly uh, you know, at lunchtime. I told him that things are going bad. Uh, I'm ready to go and, uh, you know, try to iron out and find out why they're getting, they're getting banned. So he said, you must go. So I said, yes, but when Maraji asked me to go, he gave me a letter and uh, you should give me a letter. He said, yes, without the letter, don't go. But the letter never came and I never raised the issue again. And then it deteriorated, deteriorated. 
and their Chinese are very, you know, they, they don't communicate very easily if they don't like you. So uh, that's, that's uh, I mean, we, we, I knew it was coming. And I think many worse things are coming next year, April onwards. On the current crisis, you say that, you know, the government really uh, has the inability to take an unambiguous position on the LAC. And I agree with you because it seems to me, uh, covering the crisis of 2020, that initially there was a reluctance to accept that the Chinese had come in in various areas, that it was a different crisis from previous ones. And you also mentioned that the approach really uh, could have been different in how they co- the government communicated about what was happening on the boundary. Yeah. So where do you see this going? It's worrying to hear you say that you think it may get worse next year. Yeah. Uh, it seems that yeah. the stalemate is continuing through the winter. So what's your sense of where all of this is heading? Well, first of all, how can any government say that we didn't know that the Chinese are already in occupation? That to building a controlment in the Depsang, go and see what they've built. Uh, the only thing is that when we built these roads, it became easy for our trucks to go and come. And then, uh, then we got a true picture. But uh, satellite photos are there in, and they've been published in, uh, in Wikipedia and all that. Um, so there, and it is an opportunity to blame the UPA on it, but you chose not to. Uh, I mean, either you, if you say, I didn't know, then you sack your national security advisor and sack your uh, foreign minister. Um, uh, because your foreign minister was in the bureaucracy at that time, and you perhaps was uh, also ambassador in Beijing. So, uh, if you that I I find it very hard to believe that you would have known. And if you thought that this will upset Apple Cart, you know, we are already having good relations, you know, don't raise these unthing issues. Uh, and I think there's a misunderstanding with the Chinese. The Chinese are all, you know, the Chinese torture is a drop of water coming from top. On your head, so it's a they do like this, you know, a little bit here, a little bit here, and you know, you swallow that, you swallow that. Chinese, you have to make it very clear at the very beginning. So um, I think where we're we going. Uh, my opinion is that there's only one military, um, shall I say, um, uh, dare we did, and that was really due to Mr. Rajnath and uh, the Navarani, who's our uh, Commander-in-Chief. Um, uh, what uh, Rajnath said to, to the commander is, listen, I'm being asked to go and talk with the Chinese, but if you have nothing to give, what can I take? Uh, so he said that you can take the uh, uh, the mountain top uh, overlooking the Chinese cantonment on Pangong Lake. And so I, we have, but you have to cross the LAC. We did cross the LAC and occupied it. And uh, we are today looking down on the Chinese. We are in a stronger position. But then they all were rebuked. And uh, consequently, you know, no further thing was done. Now, I believe that uh, from my knowledge of the terrain and the supply lines of the Chinese, that if we decide to evict the Chinese, the, A, the Chinese will not um, flare it up to a nuclear war. I am pretty sure. I mean, this is a calculation. The government has to make its own calculation. But we can evict them. We can make their life. The Chinese troops are not very well motivated to fight fight on this terrain. So um, therefore, you have to demonstrate this is not 62 anymore. We are not going to uh, swallow this. That I don't know why. The prime minister doesn't even name China. 
at least Rajnath uh, recently, after being uh, joked about, uh, he has decided to name China. And I congratulate him for it. But uh, I, I think uh, this disengagement is this is a, in my opinion, a traitorous word. What do you mean by disengagement? They are sitting on your chest, and you disengage, uh, trying to remove them. Uh, so I think we have, we have, don't have a, a China policy just now. And for China policy, you need people who have studied long time, people like you also, because you live there, you know the place, you you know the language, you're a fluent speaker yourself. So I think a, a kind of different types of people should be brought together and prepare a, 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 a kind of a paper to tell you what, uh, what's the first step, what's the second step, what's the third step, how to proceed. In the meantime, we have got this uh, romance about uh, Russia that, you know, they were our supporters. I'm not sure they were our supporters in Bangladesh. Um, and they were negotiating with uh, with, uh, with Henry Kissinger. is there in his book. Uh, but today, the Russians are junior partners of China. They totally are, go, go, go buy it. Look what they have done on the S-400. They took 40% of your money. I said they'll deliver it this year. Now they're saying they'll deliver it at the end of next year because they have to give the Chinese, who have placed it already, by the way, in their aircraft, uh, in their aerodromes uh, in Tibet, near India. So I think we need uh, a reality check uh, and come to a senses. Nobody is going to come to your rescue. They may give speeches in your favor, but I think we have to prepare ourselves. In the book, you speak about uh, looking ahead to a boundary settlement and why we should be pragmatic about it. You suggest one viable alternative would be something broadly along the status quo where the Makmon line is recognized in the east. And on the west, you say something perhaps approximate to the LAC of September 1962. Uh, and you think that it's something we should discuss. But then on the other hand, it seems that we still have this illusion that India will have to recover all of Aksai Chin. You had Amit Shah say in parliament last year, that we would die for Aksai Chin. Is, is, that, is that something we must confront, the reality of what a settlement would, lo would look like <laughs> and what you think is an acceptable settlement for, for India? Well, listen, um, I, I was told when I said I would get Kailash Mansur reopened, the people said, don't be mad, they're a communist country, they'll never agree. They agree. And they have never closed it. They've closed the Sikkim route, which Modi had inaugurated. But they haven't touched uh, this. Uh, I would say that uh, I, I, I don't know I should be saying this, but I'll say it anyway, because you have raised a very pertinent question. Um, I would place re retrieval of uh, POK more important than retrieval of all the territory in Saichin. And, uh, and I think uh, that uh, uh, we uh, could start, we should have the Chinese sense of history, which is wait for a thousand years. I mean, they've got patience to wait and wait and wait. They haven't done anything about Taiwan uh, after all these years, just next door to them. I think uh, given the way the Pakistanis are collapsing and the Chinese recognizing that by, you know, getting tougher them on them on the, on the finances, um, we should, uh, you know, when we, if we ever reach a stage of becoming friendly with China, we should uh, uh, find out ways and means uh, which they will look the other way when we recover uh, POK. And uh, in that context, uh, so I'm not saying give away the land, but I'm saying you maintain status quo 
after uh, we recover uh, a substantial part of the oxygen area we can't give the whole thing away as it's now being given away uh, on the part of, as a temporary agreement uh, finally if i can ask you on uh, on america it's a theme you talk about in your book and you've written a lot about in your other writings on the uniqueness of the china india us triangle yes and i think that you you make the argument that unless this triangle is resolved the india china relationship also won't be resolved that's right uh, and so uh, and you argue in your book as well so what's your sense of if i can just ask you finally with this change in washington and the new administration that's come to power how do you think the the dynamics of this triangle are going to are going to change well the dynamics can only change uh, in our favor if india acts in that way if india is all the time caring for the uh praise you get from america like the recently uh you know we we were the, almost the first ones to congratulate biden for victory when most countries had not and then uh, when he didn't call you whereas he called the other four who had uh, along the same time then you uh, you you yourself called them then you published a truncated version of what was discussed and the american press uh, published the full uh, thing where Biden talks about the emphasis on democracy, not only in the United States but in other parts in our bilateral relations. So uh, Biden is uh, not uh, like Trump. He's not the president. He's the president uh, with uh, the concurrence of uh, a, a a group of people who don't like India. Uh, they are the liberals. uh they were heavily funded by the pakistani lobby in the elections and uh, i think um, this vice president is no fan of our present government so you will find a double policy you know biden um, giving platitudes and the us congress uh, us uh, religious freedom uh, you know body uh, all the think tanks and disparaging india and there's plenty to disparage india today our economy is has been going down since 2016 as i predicted we were down to 3% in the last quarter before corona and it'll take at least uh, if the present policies are there i don't think we can recover in 10 years uh it requires a radically different economic policy uh about which also i've written which has also become a best seller called reset uh by the same publisher so uh, americans are give and take people what are you going to give them you can buy weapons from them but uh, then uh, they are doing you a favor by giving you an advanced weapon if you buy an advanced weapon but then the matter is over after that americans uh, are a give and take people you have to stand with them when they are in difficulty and we have not done in that past we have been always take on the issue of iran i mean i i'm not clear what our policy is uh iran is a country which which i would favor despite my great friendship with israel i would say well you deal with the sunnis we'll deal with the shias you see now all the entire sunni countries are one by one recognizing israel so i i don't see where the shias in india are so friendly to us i mean i have seen the shias during the heydays of the jansang in 1972 73 siding with us and jansang people going and defending the shias when the sunnis attacked in lucknow so uh, i i i would say that we tell the americans that you know on your fundamental issues we are with you uh, if, if you are 
if there's democracies and a threat from some country, we'll be away with you. And it's, rest is all give and take. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. Give me the most advanced weapons, I'll uh, side with you in the United Nations. You know, some, but we don't do that. We are all the time hankering for compliments from the Western world, which is an which is an inferiority complex which we have not left since 1947. Dr. Swami, so much more I would like to talk to you about. Uh, we didn't get to 1962 or Pakistan, but we're out of time. What I'll tell our listeners is to read the book, uh, Himalayan Challenge, India, China and the Quest for Peace is j- out just now. Couldn't be more timely. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Swami, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Yeah.